Welcome to NTD News Today. I'm Kevin Hogan. Let's take a look at our top stories. A group of voters are pushing for closed primaries. They allege members of other parties are trying to prevent their top candidates from winning the nomination. A congressman says the Treasury Department is hiding relevant information regarding Hunter Biden's foreign business deals. He's accusing the agency of covering for the Biden family to protect them from coming under scrutiny. Police in Richmond, Virginia announced they prevented a planned 4th of July shooting. They say it would have targeted a deli in the state capitol, but was stopped after officers received a tip. Two suspects are in custody. School resource officers from across the nation are sharing ways to make schools safer. This is part of an annual conference on school safety that kicked off this week. Conservatives in several states are calling to tighten up the election process. They want to make sure only registered Republicans are voting to choose Republican candidates ahead of the 2024 election cycle. And today's Jessica Beatty has more. Conservatives in at least nine states are calling on Republican lawmakers to close their state primaries. Primary elections are held before a general election. It's where voters pick the candidates who will face off against each other in a general election. Some states have open or partially open primaries. That means if you're registered with one party, you can cross over and vote in a different party's primary. Atlanta Tea Party co-founder Debbie Dooley and Ohio Republican gubernatorial candidate Jim Renacci both told the Epoch Times that Democrats are weaponizing crossover voting. They say Democrats are voting in Republican primaries for one of two reasons, to make sure moderates are elected or to nominate candidates who probably won't win. Debbie Dooley's proposal is simple. She wants Georgia to require that primary participants be registered with a party for 60 days prior to voting in a primary. She told the Epic Times such legislation is sorely needed to make sure voters don't cast primary ballots for candidates they don't plan to vote for later. Dooley says two Georgia state lawmakers have said they'll sponsor bills calling for the same changes. Meanwhile, in Ohio, Jim Renacci told the Epic Times that during the spring, Democratic groups sent emails telling people to vote for certain Republican candidates. He alleges of ballots cast in Ohio's Republican primaries this year, only 44% were actual Republicans. Renacci ended up losing the Ohio GOP primary for governor. He says he's talking to lawmakers and he expects a bill to be introduced for the 2023 legislative session. Concerns are, if states don't close their primaries, non-Republicans could undermine Trump-backed candidates. And Dooley says if former President Trump's on the ballot in 2024, crossover voting could be used as a weapon to stop him in the primary. Jessica Beatty, NTD News. The head of the FBI, Christopher Wray, is warning about the threat of the Chinese regime. He calls the communist regime the biggest long-term threat to national security and the international order. Here are the details. FBI Director Christopher Wray on Wednesday delivered a rare joint statement with the Director General of the UK's domestic intelligence agency, MI5, Ken McCallum. The two leaders of intelligence agencies have a warning. We consistently see that it's the Chinese government that poses the biggest long-term threat to our economic and national security. And by our, I mean both of our nations along with our allies in Europe and elsewhere. Ray and McCallum warned about the CCP's covert theft, forced technology transfers, research exploitation, and cyber attacks. 
Ray said the Chinese regime sees cyber as the pathway to cheat and steal on a massive scale, and that's not all. But in addition to traditional and cyber-enabled thievery, there are even more insidious tactics they'll use to essentially walk through your front door and then rob you. The Chinese government likes to do this by making investments and creating partnerships that position their proxies to steal valuable technology. The FBI director encouraged business leaders to coordinate with the FBI and MI5 to protect themselves and prepare for future attacks. And his British counterpart also mentioned a false assumption about China that many in the West have believed in the past. The widespread Western assumption that growing prosperity within China and increasing connectivity with the West would automatically lead to greater political freedom has, I'm afraid, been shown to be plain wrong. But the Chinese Communist Party is interested in our democratic media and legal systems, not to emulate them, sadly, but to use them for its gain. Ray and McCallum said that allies and partners in the free world are in this together. They called on those nations to come together and take action to address the threats posed by the Chinese regime. The Pentagon is investing tens of millions of dollars into high-altitude balloons. It intends to use them for surveillance. They could someday be used to locate and track China's hypersonic weapons. The altitude ceiling for commercial aircraft is around 43,000 feet. The U.S. Reaper drone can go to around 50,000 feet, but a report from Politico says the inflatable eyes in the sky are anticipated to reach as high as 90,000 feet. The report says the technology is moving from the Defense Department's scientific community to military service, and the Pentagon is ratcheting up funding on the project for 2023. The report says that the balloons would be integrated within the military's extensive surveillance network. The president's son, Hunter Biden, is currently under federal investigation for potential tax violations, and scrutiny has been growing over his overseas business dealings with Russia, China, and more. Now, a top House Republican is accusing the Treasury Secretary of covering for the Biden family. Republican James Comer is a ranking member on the House Committee on Oversight and Reform. Yesterday, he issued a second letter to Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen, again asking her to provide reports of what he thought was suspicious activity on the part of Hunter Biden. With suspicious activity, he meant cash transactions exceeding $10,000 a day. U.S. banks automatically generate suspicious activity reports, also called SARs, for cash transactions exceeding $10,000 a day, in a bid to help U.S. government agencies prevent money laundering. Comer previously wrote to Treasury Yellen in late May, requesting the SAR reports for Hunter Biden by June 8th, but received no answer. Comer accused the Biden administration of restricting Congress's access to SAR reports. That's because the Treasury Department recently changed its rules. Now, congressional staff can review SAR reports in a Treasury reading room. They are barred from making copies of the documents. Comer addresses that rule change in his letter, saying, Committee Republicans are investigating whether this change in long-standing policy is motivated by efforts to shield Hunter Biden and potentially President Biden from scrutiny. Comer also alleges in the letter that during a phone call on June 13th, Treasury officials told Republicans that they will not provide SARs to them unless Democrats join the request. Before that alleged phone call, the Treasury Department told the Wall Street Journal that Treasury has made SARs available for every request we've received, regardless of party, and will continue to do so. In Comer's letter, he says that statement is not true and says Treasury's actions raise new questions about the degree to which the Biden administration is using the federal government to provide cover for the Biden family and its associates. The reports in question may be in connection to Hunter's foreign business deals with countries like Ukraine, Russia, and China. 
NTD reached out to both the White House and the Treasury Department, but did not hear back before airtime. Police in Richmond, Virginia, revealed yesterday they thwarted a planned 4th of July mass shooting in the state capitol after receiving a tip. The announcement came after a shooter killed seven and wounded scores more at a parade outside Chicago. NTD's Andrew Thomas reports. A 911 caller told authorities of overhearing a plot targeting the Dogwood Deli in Richmond, Virginia. A 2,400-seat amphitheater that hosted a 4th of July celebration and fireworks show. The tip led Richmond police officers, Homeland Security, and FBI agents to a home in the city on July 1st. The success of this particular investigation can only be juxtaposed against the horrors in which the rest of the country has seen. There is no telling how many lives this hero citizen made, how, how many lives this hero citizen saved from one phone call. Authorities seized two assault rifles, a handgun, and over 200 rounds of ammunition there. They arrested a suspect, identified as Julio Alvarado, on gun charges. A second suspect, Roman Balcarcel, was arrested on July 5th. Public safety is a responsibility of us all. One phone call saved numerous lives on the 4th of July. And moving forward, we employ that everyone, if you see something, say something. If you hear something, say something. Both men are non-U.S. citizens who lived in the home where the ammunition and guns were seized. They are being held at the Richmond City Jail. Richmond Mayor LeVar Stoney emphasized that shootings can happen anywhere. As we continue to live through uh, an era, an age of mass shootings, and all around our country, no community is immune. Police said they prevented one shooting. But Mayor Stoney said an attack at Cyber Cafe in downtown Richmond injured six people during the early hours of July 4th. The shooter remains at large. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. A national conference focusing on making schools safer is currently underway in Colorado. School resource officers are sharing best practices on handling crisis situations amid a renewed focus on school shootings. Here are the details. The annual conference of the National Association of School Resource Officers kicked off in Aurora, Colorado this week. It features speakers sharing best practices on handling crisis situations. Frank DeAngelis was the principal of Columbine High School in suburban Denver when two gunmen killed 12 fellow students and a teacher in 1999. This is what he said. One of the key things that I think it's important most schools are getting into now is teachers being able to lock the doors from the inside because what these uh, shooters realize is their time to commit their act of terrorism is going to be very short-lived, so they're going to go to safe targets of classrooms, and we saw what happened in Uvalde. There was a classroom door open, and so I think we need to continue to do that. The convention also features a bustling exhibit hall showcasing the latest in school safety technology. That includes several gun dealers, companies that make bulletproof vests and tactical gear, real-time demonstrations of surveillance cameras, modified window blinds, comfort dogs, and a wide variety of door locking systems. We've got RSOs in Alabama that carry this in a Hello Kitty backpack. Mom and dad don't want to see this weapon in their school, but it's got to be there. It's unfortunate. It needs to be there. An officer from Castle Rock Police Department in Colorado shared the importance of making officers at schools approachable to children. You know, part of this is that this dog will be visible, um, you know, virtually every day that the kids are in school. Um, it makes me more approachable. It also assists me because I am more approachable, you know, when kids feel like there's something going on in the school, if there's an issue or something that needs to be addressed, they're more likely to come visit me. 
um, as opposed to just seeing me as, you know, I'm solely there for security and I can't be talked to or approached. The conference has drawn nearly 1,500 attendees. It will run until this Friday. The blue state of Maryland will stop enforcing its tough concealed carry handgun permitting rule. Governor Larry Hogan says continuing to enforce permit rules violates the U.S. Constitution. The announcement comes two weeks after a Supreme Court gun rights ruling, which the state had been resisting. On June 23rd, the Supreme Court struck down a New York law and recognized a constitutional right to carry firearms in public for self-defense. Hogan said in a press release that Maryland will comply with the ruling. That's because it struck down a provision in New York law about handgun permitting that he says is virtually indistinguishable from Maryland law. The top elected official in Maryland's most populated county pushed back against Hogan's decision. Montgomery County Executive Mark Elrich says getting rid of gun carry restrictions is an invitation for serious trouble. He said people are going to die over things that could have otherwise resulted in a bloody nose before this. The suspected driver of the semi-truck where over 50 migrants died in San Antonio will remain in custody pending trial. Omero Zamorano Jr. waived a detention hearing Wednesday and is being held without bond. He's charged with human smuggling resulting in death. 53 migrants died from heat-related illnesses last month while being transported in the semi-truck. Three others have been arrested in connection with the incident. And coming up, emails show President Biden planned to nominate a Republican opposed to abortion to a lifetime federal judge appointment. The appointment was set for just a day before the Supreme Court's Roe v. Wade ruling. And the Department of Transportation awards almost a billion dollars for airport terminal modernization. The money will go to airports across the U.S. Find out more right here on NTD News. Newly released emails from the Kentucky governor's office show that President Biden planned to nominate a Republican opposed to abortion to a lifetime appointment as a federal judge in the state just a day before the U.S. Supreme Court overturned the Roe v. Wade ruling. The emails released on Wednesday show correspondence from a White House official advising that Biden intended to nominate Chad Meredith on June 24th to serve as a district court judge. Reports emerged last week that the White House was considering Meredith, a former solicitor general and conservative who has defended abortion restrictions in Kentucky. The White House has declined to confirm the planned nomination ever since the Louisville Courier-Journal first reported the news. A spokesperson on Wednesday said it does not comment on judicial vacancies until nominees are named. An email sent on June 23rd, the day before the Supreme Court reversed Roe v. Wade, shows Kathleen Marshall, a White House senior advisor in the Office of Intergovernmental Affairs, saying Meredith would be nominated the next day. In a June 29th email sent hours before the Courier-Journal's first report on the nomination, Marshall wrote that her original message was, quote, pre-decisional and privileged information. Meredith, now counsel at the law firm Squire Patton Boggs, did not respond to requests for comment. Kentucky Governor Andy Bashir and Representative John Yarmuth, both Democrats, opposed the nomination, which Yarmuth said is likely a part of some larger deal on judicial nominations between Biden and Senate Republican leader Mitch McConnell, who would be required to approve district court nominees from his home state. Robert Sturer, a spokesperson for McConnell, said his office won't have a comment until if slash when the president makes his nomination. 
The U.S. Transportation Department awarded almost $1 billion to 85 airport projects to address the country's aging and often mocked aviation infrastructure. Some of the money will fund new terminals, boost gate capacity, and add air traffic control towers. The five-year, $5 billion airport terminal grant program was approved by Congress in November as part of the $1 trillion infrastructure law. Here's where the money's going. $50 million to Los Angeles International to reconstruct its terminal roadway system and reconfigure a central entrance. $62 million to Boston to renovate the existing 1974 Terminal E facilities and replace arrival roadways. And $50 million to Orlando to build four new gates. The White House infrastructure coordinator says... Airport terminals are not something the federal government has historically invested in. It's typically been local airport owners and airlines that have done that. But the need is evident. U.S. airports have often fared poorly in worldwide comparisons and occasionally received ridicule from foreign visitors. California's governor is on vacation. This time he's in Montana. But the personal trip has caused a stir among some social media users because Montana is on the list of states banned from state-funded travel. Here's the story. Governor Gavin Newsom is vacationing in Montana this week to visit his in-laws. Anthony York, a spokesperson for the governor's office, said on Twitter that Newsom is on vacation with his family. He will return later this week. But what has some people peeved is that Montana is one of 20 states on a list of states banned from official state-funded travel. However, York wrote in the same Twitter post that the travel ban applies to using state funds. The governor's travel is not being paid by the state. That left some Twitter users to speculate whether the governor has security with him, and if so, who's paying them? Some defended the governor, saying that he deserves to have a personal life. Others argued that taxpayers deserve to know if taxes are being spent on an official's personal expenses. In addition to banned official travel to the treasure state, Arizona, Indiana, Louisiana, and Utah are the newest additions to the list of states California officials are banned from traveling to. Golden State Attorney General Rob Bonta said last week that the ban is a result of recently passed laws in these states banning biological males from competing in girls' school sports. The 20 states on the ban list either have or are considering laws restricting sexual orientation and gender identity. Arizona Governor Doug Ducey responded to the announcement, saying, It's unfortunate California employees won't be able to travel here and visit all the businesses that have fled their state. The new travel restrictions went into effect on July 1st. Organizers for the effort to recall Los Angeles District Attorney George Gascon say they will submit more than 700,000 petition signatures in time for the deadline to the county's election office. If the required minimum number of signatures is verified, voters will then decide whether to oust the progressive DA from office in November's general election. The recall spokesman said in a statement, From day one, this recall has been led by the very victims who Gascon has abandoned, ignored, and dismissed. When the recall qualifies, he will not be able to ignore them any longer. More than 30 cities in Los Angeles County support the recall. Gascon was elected in December 2020. He drew controversy for his reforms of Los Angeles County's criminal justice system. Critics say his policies have only increased crime. They point to statistics that show a 94% jump in homicides and a 54% increase in auto theft.
During an interview with the How We Win podcast on June 1st, Gascon defended his policies. He said the recall effort against him was an initiative driven by very conservative, very right-wing forces. The owner of a funeral home in Colorado was accused of selling body parts and giving fake ashes to clients, which they thought were the remains of their loved ones. Megan Hess and her mother, Shirley Koch, operated the Sunset Mesa Funeral Home in Montrose, Colorado. The indictment says that between 2010 and 2018, Hess and Koch offered to cremate bodies and provide the ashes to families for $1,000 or more, but many of the cremations never happened. The funeral home would give their clients false remains. Then they allegedly sold the bodies or body parts to third parties for research without the family's knowledge. According to the Department of Justice, this happened on dozens of occasions. The Daily Sentinel reported that Hess pleaded guilty to one count of mail fraud. In exchange for the guilty plea, five other counts of mail fraud and three counts of illegal transportation of hazardous materials were dropped. Mail fraud carries a maximum sentence of 20 years. Authorities in Indiana have released a dramatic body cam video. It's footage of the rescue of a woman and five children from a burning apartment. Multiple people were trapped by fire in an upstairs apartment in Madison. Local police arrived quickly on the scene and encouraged the children to jump from the second story so they could catch them. Two of the police officers happened to be experienced firefighters and helped battle the blaze while the rescue was underway. After five children jumped down safely, the officers caught an adult female leaping from the second story window. Thanks to the quick action by Madison police, there were no serious injuries reported, only minor cuts and scrapes. The cause of the apartment fire is still under investigation. A Georgia man is behind bars after attempting to flush away a large amount of marijuana. On Tuesday, authorities, including the Bibb County Sheriff's Office, were serving numerous arrest warrants to 42-year-old Joseph Benjamin Griffin. As that was happening, task force members realized that Griffin was trying to flush pot down the toilet. Once inside the residence, investigators found nearly 50 pounds of marijuana along with a handgun and close to $13,000 in cash. Griffin is being held without bond. The Great Salt Lake has hit a new historic low for the second time in less than a year as the ongoing mega drought continues to shrink the largest lake west of the Mississippi. Utah Department of Natural Resources said the Great Salt Lake dipped Sunday to 4,190.1 feet. That is lower than the previous historic low set in October, which at the time matched a 170-year record low. Lake levels are expected to keep dropping until fall or winter. Dwindling water levels at the giant lake just west of Salt Lake City puts millions of migrating birds at risk and threatens a lake-based economy that's worth an estimated $1.3 billion in mineral extraction, brine shrimp, and recreation. The state legislature is trying to find ways to reverse the trend, but it won't be easy. Water has been diverted away from the lake for years for homes and crops in the nation's fastest-growing state that is also one of the driest. And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, don't hesitate to email us at news.today at ntd.com. Still to come, a port in Poland is expected to see a large increase in the amount of Ukrainian grains it handles over the next year. That's as many of Ukraine's ports remain blocked. And the Crimean Peninsula experiences a sharp drop in tourism due to Russia's invasion of Ukraine. It's a big blow to the whole peninsula's economy. All that and more after this short break.
British Prime Minister Boris Johnson resigned today. The announcement didn't come by surprise to Brits. He gave a speech at Downing Street in London. It is clearly now the will of the Parliamentary Conservative Party that there should be a new leader of that party and therefore a new Prime Minister. And I've agreed with Sir Graham Brady, the chairman of our backbench MPs, that the process of choosing that new leader should begin now. Johnson says it is the will of the Parliamentary Conservative Party that there should be a new leader of that party and therefore a new prime minister. He has appointed a new cabinet to serve until a new leader is in place. In his speech, he pointed to some of his achievements, like getting Brexit done and standing up to Russian President Vladimir Putin in recent months. However, he has been forced to step down after his ministers and conservative lawmakers quit or withdrew their support. Johnson says he tried to convince his colleagues not to change the government at this point in time, but wasn't successful. WNBA player Brittany Griner pleaded guilty today to drug charges in a Russian court near Moscow. It came on the second day of her trial. The 31-year-old was accused of attempting to smuggle less than a gram of cannabis oil into the country. She's been held at a detention center since her arrest in February. Now that she's pleaded guilty, she could be sentenced to up to 10 years in prison. The plea deal could mean a shorter sentence for the athlete. She's due back in court next week. A northern port in Poland expects a large increase in the amount of Ukrainian grains it handles over the next year. The prediction comes as Russia's war in Ukraine continues to raise alarm over food security around the world. And today's Andrew Thomas has the details. Rafal Rozanski is the manager of the bulk terminal at Poland's port of Gdańsk. He said they had already handled over 100,000 tons of Ukrainian corn, and deliveries were increasing. About 90% are delivered by rail and 10% by truck. Rozanski predicts the terminal will see five or six times the amount of Ukrainian goods over the next year. Ukrainian truck driver Dimtro Nikiforov had brought his first load of grain to Gdansk after waiting for days to cross into Poland. Long. There's a long queue at the border. Lots of cars from the Ukrainian side. Before I reached the Ukrainian border, I had been standing for four days. I crossed the Polish border in one day and came here to Gdansk to offload. Russia's invasion of Ukraine has heightened concerns about food security, both in Ukraine and around the globe and has driven up world food prices to record levels this year. Ukraine is one of the world's largest grain exporters, but the country has struggled to export goods as many of its ports are blocked. I worked in a Lithuanian company, but the war with Russia started, so I quit my job and came home. But I've not been taken into the army yet. I waited three months, and then I got this job, transporting grain, and this is my first trip. Rosansky said improvements to the port of Gdansk helped fill the gap. The port in Gdansk has capabilities now, but that definitely needs to be increased. Thanks to numerous modernizations, we could have a chance to become one of the main logistics chains covering the block logistics capabilities of Odessa port, as well as other ports in Ukraine. Before Russia's invasion, Ukraine exported more than 90% of its grain and oilseed via its Black Sea ports on the Black Sea shores, moving up to over 6 million tons per month. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. The tourist flow in the Crimean Peninsula has plummeted due to Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Hoteliers and restaurants have not seen such a disastrous season, and the tourism industry is expecting heavy losses. NTD's Andrew Thomas has more. 
According to the Crimean branch of the Russian Union of Travel Industry, tourist numbers are down at least 50 percent. It's a big blow to the whole peninsula's economy. During the summer season, these are the most popular rooms. And at this time last year, they were already full. At the moment, the occupancy is somewhere around 40 percent. According to a regional travel expert, occupancy rates are normally between 80 and 90 percent this time of year. This year, the figure varies from 30 to 70 percent, depending on the region. A drop in flow even by 30 percent is hard for the Crimean Peninsula. And if we talk about 50 percent, this is really very bad, because it is not only tourism, here the whole economy is tied to visitors, most of the Crimean economy. Therefore, this is transport, this is communications, this is public catering and construction and small businesses, medium-sized businesses and so on. Flights were suspended when Russia sent its military into Ukraine. They still haven't resumed, and train travel can't fill the gap. Crimean railway infrastructure has logistical limitations, including the passage of trains through the Crimean Bridge, and it is not possible to sharply, significantly increase the number of trains. Therefore, even taking into account the fact that transport capacities have increased, demand is still quite high and there are no tickets. Industry representatives believe the suspension is the main reason for the current difficulties. There are some who travel to Crimea by car and they are determined to enjoy themselves. According to Sevastopol's tourism department, up to 30% of tourists used to come by air to Crimea, with only 5% by train. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Just ahead, a Canadian tycoon who's deeply involved in Chinese officials' shady business disappeared in Hong Kong five years ago. Now he reappeared in Shanghai and faces trial without access to consular officials of his country. And Taiwan's Air Force is demonstrating a more combat-ready jet trainer. It's part of the island's effort to develop its own defense equipment amid mounting threats from China. Stay tuned for more right here on NTD News. U.S. Treasury and State Departments have announced sanctions against a network of international companies. They allegedly sold Iranian oil to China and other East Asian countries, which is a violation of oil sanctions against Iran. These individuals and entities were involved in facilitating the sale of hundreds of millions of dollars of Iranian petroleum and petrochemical products. According to the Treasury Department, they used a web of Gulf-based front companies to conceal the Iranian origin of the oil. The entities are located in Iran, Vietnam, Singapore, the United Arab Emirates, and Hong Kong. The U.S. has imposed sanctions on Iranian oil exports, but for the past two years, Chinese refineries have been buying large amounts of Iranian oil. That has helped to keep Iran's economy afloat. After a failed attempt to revive the 2015 Iran nuclear deal, the White House said it would continue to use its sanctions powers to target Iran's oil exports. Canadian tycoon Xiao Jianhua has reappeared in public after spending five years among the missing. Reports allege that Chinese police abducted and detained him during that time, but his case remains largely a mystery. Here's more. Chinese-Canadian billionaire Xiao Jianhua is facing trial in China without consular access. The Canadian embassy told CNN that they repeatedly requested to attend the trial, but were rejected by the court. 
Xiao is a Chinese-born Canadian tycoon. According to the Wall Street Journal, Xiao may face charges of illegal absorption of public deposits. If convicted, Xiao will face up to 10 years in prison. Xiao's properties were worth nearly $60 billion combined as of his disappearance in 2017. At the time, he was accused of being deeply involved in money laundering tied to high-ranking officials in the Chinese Communist Party. Xiao was reportedly abducted by Chinese police in Hong Kong in 2017. Insiders said Xiao was arrested and transferred to mainland China. China's criminal procedure law states that the length of detention before trial can't exceed seven months, but Xiao was missing for more than five years. During his disappearance, many of the production facilities he owned were handed over to Chinese authorities. A spokesman for the Chinese Foreign Ministry told the media he was unaware of Xiao Jinhua's case during a Monday news conference. And now we turn to another China-related topic, Confucius Institutes. Many don't know what they are or may not know what they really are, and yet they have influence at many levels and in many countries, even right here in the U.S. So let's hear now from China in Focus's Tiffany Meyer for more on that. Now, we'd like to take a minute and address a request from our audience. We recently reported on Chinese Confucius Institutes in the U.S. that closed down but are coming back under new names. Some viewers asked for more details. Beijing markets Confucius Institutes as Chinese language, education and culture exchange platforms. They operate by partnering with international campuses, but are staffed with teachers from China and funded by the Chinese Communist Party. They've long faced criticism for spreading communist influence and for bringing Chinese state censorship into the classroom. In the U.S. alone, dozens have been shuttered in recent years. But a report from National Association of Scholars says about 20 American institutions are still running their Confucius Institutes. Some of them have a long history, like Stanford University and Wesleyan College. Ten more universities that still have Confucius Institutes on their campuses are scattered around the U.S. Two more universities said they would close their Confucius Institutes, but their closing dates remain unclear. Outside the college and university circle, a number of other Confucius Institutes are imbued in district schools or other faculty groups. The report adds that more than a hundred Confucius Institutes in the U.S. are already closed or in the process of closing. But many colleges and universities have started up similar programs under new names all while continuing to work closely with the same Chinese institutions they partnered with under the Confucius program. Some of them have also retained the same teachers who staff their Confucius institutes or held onto other sorts of relationships. The report also urges people to report new or closed Confucius institutes or additional information about them to the National Association of Scholars. They can be reached by email at oxnevad at nas.org. The Taiwan Air Force has unveiled a new advanced jet trainer. The aircraft has improved combat capabilities and will soon replace older equipment. Let's take a closer look. Taiwan's Air Force is showcasing its new locally designed jet trainer. It's the island's first homegrown jet since the introduction of the FCK-1 Qingkuo Indigenous Defense Fighter, or IDF, more than 30 years ago. During operation, because of the digital flight controls, the new jet's functions are more adequate for flying needs than the IDF's. 
They are fit for both air-to-air -air and air-to-ground combat training purposes. The new AT-5 Brave Eagle made its first test flight in 2020. It was built by the state-owned Aerospace Industries Development Corp with a budget of more than $2 billion. The new jet is similar in appearance to the IDF, but is said to be more advanced. When it comes to braking for the landing distance, there is supplementary equipment to help reduce the takeoff and landing distances by quite a bit, so it helps to give students more space to deal with certain unforeseen situations. It will gradually replace the current aging, accident-prone equipment. Our main mission at the moment is general conversion training and tandem flying. After the tests are done, if there are orders from Air Force Command, we will make further plans. Taiwan's armed forces are mostly equipped by the United States. But President Tsai Ing-wen has prioritized the development of domestic defense industry. That's especially with China stepping up military modernization efforts and drills near Taiwan. Up, new technology will be used at the World Cup finals later this year. The system will be able to resolve contentious offside calls with speed and accuracy. And tourists can walk with wolves in southern Spain. The man who raises the wolves hopes the experience will teach people not to fear wolves. Find out more in just a minute here on NTD News. NASA has lost contact with an important satellite that broke free of Earth's orbit on its way to the moon. The capstone satellite launched from New Zealand June 28th. It left Earth's orbit on Monday as planned, marking an important milestone of its four-month journey to the moon, but on Tuesday, it stopped communication with NASA's radio antenna network. NASA says a team is working to figure out the cause and reestablish contact with the satellite. Its mission is to orbit the moon for at least six months to gather research for NASA's planned manned lunar space station called Gateway. FIFA has announced that semi-automated offside technology will be used at the World Cup finals later this year. The tech promises decisions that will not only be more accurate, but also a lot quicker. NTD's Andrew Thomas has more. Semi-automated offside technology, or SOT, will be able to resolve contentious offside calls with speed and accuracy. The system uses cameras strategically positioned around the stadiums and a chip in the match ball. FIFA says it will go a long way to cutting down on continuous video assistant referee decisions. And we are working on a more consistent use of VAR, in particular concerning the line of intervention, as well as we are aware that sometimes the length of checks and reviews is definitely too long. So it uses 12 dedicated cameras to track the ball, and up to 29 data points of each individual player, 50 times per second, calculating their exact position on the field. The 29 collected data points include all limbs and extremities that are relevant for making offside calls. A sensor inside the ball sends data 500 times per second, allowing a precise detection of the kick point for offside decisions. The match officials are still involved in the decision-making process, as the, the semi-automated offside gives an answer only when a player who was in an offside position plays the ball. The new technology provides an automated offside alert to the video match officials whenever the ball is received by an attacker in an offside position. 
Before informing the on-field referee, the video match officials will validate the proposed decision. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Walking with Wolves is the latest novelty tourism experience being offered in southern Spain. That's where guests can pet a fully grown wolf as they walk through a pine forest. Let's take a look with NTD's Eddie Aitken. This is no ordinary dog walk. In fact, these canines are not dogs but wolves. In the remote corner of southern Spain, Miguel Angel González Carrillo has raised three litters of wolves and it all started with his daughter's joke after they moved to this mountain village in 2009. They are domesticated, but their behavior is also wild. They behave with each other like a, a real wolf pack. The games they play, the way the mother teaches her cubs, and all that is part of their instinct. Thirteen years later, he now shares his home with three wolves, Mother Kahala and her two fully grown offspring, Sue and India. Mainly, people like them and are hugely drawn to them. Lots of people stop me to take photos and to see that they are friendly. They spend ages stroking them and taking photos. Some people really, really love spending time close to an animal like this. There are an estimated 250 wolf packs, or around 2,000 Iberian wolf individuals in Spain. González Carrillo would love to see these creatures recolonize the area and started his walking tours two years ago as a way of showing the public that humans should not fear wolves. It was a unique experience, extraordinary. I 100% recommend it to disconnect from the world, from computers and the internet, and enjoy nature. It's an imposing animal that's very different from a dog. When you are sharing this environment with them, you can see their instincts. They behave differently. I really enjoyed the landscape too, and escaping from the noise of the city. The bond between González Carrillo and these creatures goes far beyond that of an owner with their pets. He is the leader of the pack. At the end of the journey, under the setting sun, the pack begins to howl, responding to his call, filling the valley with ancient sounds not heard in these parts for at least 120 years. Eddie Aitken, NTD News. Do you only eat cranberries once a year, and is it a condiment for a roasted turkey on Thanksgiving? Well, as we find out today, you may be missing a few nutrients if that's the only time you eat them. Here's Gina Marie, who brings us Strong Mind and Body. Traditional cranberry jelly with the holiday turkey. Ah, yes, it's a winning combination that we've had time and again. But there are so many other things that you can do with cranberries. Studies on food are carried out all the time, but this one got our attention. Long story short, the English researchers discovered more nutrients in these little berries, thrusting them into the superfood class. Results showed that cranberry extract had significantly improved cardiovascular function even in young men who were generally considered low risk. The berries also naturally assist with widening the blood vessels. Arteries stay supple and flexible, and we all want that. Also, cranberries are excellent for keeping a healthy heart in great shape. 
Related to blueberries and bilberries, cranberries share many of the same properties. I'm talking about antioxidants. They scavenge harmful free radicals that cruise through our digestive tracts, causing stress and damage. Add vitamin C and E to the mix and your intestine will love that you made this choice. Cranberries monitor your gut bacteria and maintain balance. Yes, I know they're tart, but these crimson delicacies can bring a ping to salads and salsa. In salads, use them fresh or dried with a couple of sweeter vegetables like grated carrot or roasted sweet potato. Make a refreshing salsa using these ingredients. Chop fresh cranberries, minced red onion, jalapeno peppers, cilantro, and lime juice and a little honey to taste. As another idea, you can combine them with raspberries and strawberries and stir them into yogurt. Another idea, this colorful trio is excellent on your cereal to give you flavor, fiber, and antioxidants. You could also try to pair them with roasted, lightly salted nuts for a trail mix. You could also use them in sauces and marinades, or what about in homemade muesli or cookies as they add color and texture. And if you do decide to go for cranberry juice, opt for 100% pure. Maybe now it's time to put these tart tiny fruits on the menu year round. A Japanese tea house is offering visitors a chance to taste history in a $25,000 antique bowl. An antiques dealer and his family are offering a traditional Japanese tea ceremony with a twist at Gallery Okubo in Tokyo. The gallery allows visitors to feel the traditional bowls and take a drink from them. The choice of bowls ranges from brand new to more than 300 years old. Some of the older pieces are museum quality and worth as much as $25,000. The ceremony costs about 2,200 Japanese yen or $16 per person. And for those who happen to be in the neighborhood, the gallery does take reservations. It defies gravity. That's what a Colorado amusement park is saying about its new roller coaster, Defiance. It is the highest looping coaster in the U.S. According to the park, it has the steepest freefall drop in the western United States. The coaster has three cars that sit eight people each. It's more than 7,000 feet above sea level, which means you get magnificent views when riding. And it can go as fast as 56 miles per hour. The park is planning on unveiling it Saturday, July 9th. American dog lovers say welcome to the Bracco Italiano. The ancient Italian bird dog is the 200th member of the American Kennel Club's or AKC's roster of recognized breeds. The organization announced the development Wednesday. Now the handsome, powerful, but amiable hunters can go for best in show at many U.S. dog shows, including the prestigious Westminster Kennel Club event next year. The AKC says the Bracco goes back more than two millennia in Europe, but wasn't brought to the U.S. until the mid-1990s. It's a medium to large dog that's supposed to be adaptable to all types of hunting. Owners say it's reliable, docile, and intelligent. Thank you so much for joining us. We're going to put our email address on screen. We'd love to hear from you. For podcasters, that's news.today at ntd.com. Until next time, Kevin Hogan, NTD News, New York City.